Please turn to Romans, the 8th chapter. And beginning in the first verse, the Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the laws of sin and death. Now, to some, these Scriptures may seem very counterintuitive. As we pointed out last night, we are physical people with physical bodies, physical needs, physical inclinations. So how can we be blamed for being earthly or fleshly-minded people? After all, our earthly or fleshly-minded existence depends entirely upon catering to these physical needs. And it all began with a few simple words of Jesus. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The entire theme of this section of Romans, the Christian life for that matter, is a shift in focus from those earthly things which separate us from God and the spiritual things that implant us in His presence. And we're in a unique situation, or at least we think we are. Whenever we look at the world in which we live, we have no choice but to live here. And we look at this world and we wonder how in the world can we be expected to continue down a spiritual path in this world that seems consistently themed towards physical demands. And as I say this, I'm talking about as we are continually prompted to perhaps set spirituality aside in favor of politically correct jargon or politically correct living and so on. And we start to see this op opposition mount continually against us more consistently, which prompts the question again, how in the world are we going to continue doing this? We might even go so far as to make the claim that our time, our earth, our country, whatever the case is, fill in the blank, is in the worst condition now than it's ever been. And how in the world can we possibly think about irresponsibly having children with this world that we're going to leave them with. It's just going to get harder and harder to be a Christian. What in the world possesses us to think that we have a right to leave our kids to this? It's worse now than it's ever been. Incidentally, I've heard my grandmother say that before. Heard my mom and dad say that before. Heard older folks say that before. I've even heard some of my peers say that before. And I won't say that I have, but yeah, I have. My, I might even be guilty of saying it myself, too. You know, I think that's a, a theme for every generation that comes and goes. The world is in worse shape now than it's ever been. I'm not here to tell you that you're wrong. It may very well be. But let me encourage you a little bit with this one simple statement. Sin is ancient, and it's been here a long time. Now, you might be wondering, how in the world is that supposed to be an encouraging statement? We look at our politicians, the laws that they pass or don't pass. We look at the things that people glorify that the Bible teaches us to detest. The laws that seem continually against the church. The degradation of family and religious values. We see people as lovers of themselves, lovers of evil, glorying in that which is sinful. And we may very well find ourselves tempted to say that we are living in the worst period, time period, morally period, than we have ever, than time has ever produced. Lucky us. And it may sound odd to phrase it this way, but perhaps we might take some comfort in knowing that for generations people have been worried about the, the immorality of their times 
that we're not unique in our facing of godlessness in this world, and that sin has always been glorified to some degree, perhaps even to the degree that parents have worried about the world that they are leaving their children. Take, for instance, the ancient cities of the plains, Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, Zeboam, and Belta, the five cities of the plains that were destroyed because of their godlessness. A similar situation even took place in Gibeah some years later uh, in Judges, the 19th chapter. Things continually happened in this sinful way. And as Paul pe uh, preached throughout Europe, he warned the brethren, in this case those in Philippi, of the dishonest and single-mindedness of the current generation at the time, Philippians 2 and verse 14, where he says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. Where? In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights. He even warned Timothy of the sinful times to be manifested in the last days. When are the last days? Well, Vladimir Putin came to power this year, uh, and, and then uh, Obama and then Trump, so that means the last days are about 2016, right? No. No! So why do we look at worldly leaders assuming that this is a representation of the last... The last days have been here for a while. They predate us. They predate the United States. The last days have been around. The last days were imminent, in fact, when Paul said the very words, men will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. That doesn't sound a whole lot different than today, does it? Keep in mind, brethren, that governments... Let be encouraged by this too. Governments have killed Christians in very public and private ways for years. National events featured exhibitions where people were offered to starved animals. They were used as living lamps in nocturnal parties of dignitaries. Neighbors were pulled from homes in the middle of the night only for their brethren to wonder where they were at the next assembly. Did you know that the gospel was outlawed in ancient days and even in modern days as well? As recently as 1861, history test, 1860 to 1864, 65-ish, what conflict was going into the United States at the time? Hint, war of secession, war of union aggression, war of southern rebellion, the United States Civil War. And did you know that in the North, in certain in in between 19, 1861 and 1863, it was not legal to talk about loving one's brother. It was not legal to talk about pacifism because those rotten Christians, those cowardly Christians, used these doctrines as to why you shouldn't be fighting. The same rules applied much more recently in 1918 during World War I when conscientious objection was persecuted by both society and governments. While today we rarely deal with violence for our religion in this country, we are put under increasingly legal pressure to silence biblical doctrines on homosexuality, on marriage, on gender roles, on communion, and so on. Yet longer than sin has been a part of the world, God has had a formula with how we are to deal with it. Talking about himself and other apostles in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 12, Paul said, "...being reviled we bless, being persecuted we endure, being defamed we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things 
until now. And in one case, the inspired writer instructed us like this. He simply said, endure. You therefore must endure hardships as a good soldier of Christ. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 3. Simply endure. And he gives us the tools to do so. While our perception of sin and the rejection of morality may be somewhat recent, God's plan for His people in dealing with it is as old as time. The Lord has always known what we deal with, and while dealing with it, He encourages us to endure. Hebrews 11 verse 32 gives us a wonderful little list of things that we ought to be afraid of. Verse 36, others had trials and mockings and scourgings, yes, and chains of imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, they were stoned, they were uh, destitute, afflicted and tormented, and of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and in caves. Let's make a general list of the world's most concerning fears. Maybe mine. Some of my, some of my biggest fears. Number one, I'm afraid of my son getting older. That's concerning. It's going too fast. Baldness, I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of my life coming crashing down around me and having to move back in with my parents someday. I'm afraid of that. On a more serious note, I'm afraid of poverty. I'm afraid of outlawing Christianity. I'm afraid of lots of things that could go on two hands and you would probably share many of them too. What were they afraid of? Scourgings, mockings, chains and imprisonment, stoning, sawn in two. How many afraid are how many of us are afraid to go back home to Mansfield because there are people sawing Christians in two? Or afraid to go back home anywhere around here because people are sawing Christians in two. Most of this we modern Christians can only experience in nightmares. Yet even as all of these things were happening to the people of God, they were encouraged, and we are encouraged by these words. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such that is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now how many of you... Young men or old men, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, how many of you have a list of things that you never thought you would ever have to preach about? I do. Carrying guns in the assembly is one of them. Who would have thought we'd have to talk about that? We have to talk about that today. And don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of Sam Colt, and I'll stand on the foundation of the Second Amendment all the way, but not at the expense of righteousness and godly living. So where did we get to the point where we're thinking that if God be for us, who can be against us as long as I have Sam Colt on my hip? Or name your firearm manufacturer. I don't care. One isn't any more lawful in the Lord's assembly than another. And at the, what point did Christians start believing that God is not capable of protection? So we got to do it ourselves. That we had to start misquoting Scripture and saying, Jesus asked the disciples if they had swords. I got my sword. Alright. Read your Bible again. And this time take it seriously. At what point did we get to this 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 sense of such confusion or willing ignorance. Now don't get me wrong, there are some people who are thinking, you're the ignorant one, man. You're going around unarmed. You're crazy. <laughs> In some places I may be. That doesn't change what the Bible said. In keeping with uh, my predecessor's sermon in Job, in Job the 38th chapter, we have a little period where God finally said enough. Enough. 
And he started to answer Job. In one of the most poignant scriptures ever written, he says, Who is he who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? What are we talking about when we're talking about personal self-defense where God lacks? He then responded to Job and he said, Now you prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Some people say that a man is armed. God says that a man is humble and he listens when God speaks. For, brethren, sin has been around. Sin has been around. And whether the world is in worse shape now than it's ever been is not for us to say. Expectations have not changed. Something else we might note in this particular area of concern, the world being in worse shape than it's ever been, we should note, sinful or not, as far as the world is concerned, God doesn't leave His people. Whether in good times or bad, God is among us. Have you ever had that faithful conversation with a person who used to be faithful and they say that they are discouraged by the church, by the hypocrisy in the church, or worst of all, they say that God has left them. I didn't leave God. God left me. Generally, when one says this, it's code for them having experienced that their behavior is contradicted by the Word of God and they're going to continue living like that anyway. Most of the world chooses to remain separated from God because of the law of self-sacrifice, the casting off of the old man, as it were. And we often choose this justification for our belief that God has left us. Paul said in Ephesians 4 verse 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in futility of mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. That's a scary phrase. Past feeling. You mean we can achieve that? past feeling sensation. Some of us are hoping to, no doubt. Hopefully not in this room, but some of the world is. If I can just make it past that pesky conscience thing and get to that feelingless point in my life. Futility of mind, alienation, ignorance, blindness. What do all of these things have in common? They are all voluntary circumstances. The phenomenon of being past feeling is not only a voluntary circumstance, but it's one that takes significant time and effort to develop. Paul warns Timothy of these people, 1 Timothy 4.2, they had their own conscience seared with a hot iron. They became calloused. Now, uh, among a few, very few, but a few complaints about me that my wife has, one of them is my, is my hands. Evidently, I don't take care of my hands. You need to put on lotion. I need to put on lotion because they're full of calluses and usually healing scratches and dead skin hanging off, all of that good stuff. And whenever, you know it's bad when you can walk over to this curtain and you can rub your hand down it and you hear it go... That comes from, that comes from use, it comes from work, calluses, you understand. And in response to that, I ask, would you rather hold a dainty hand? The answer is usually no. And in the case of work, you know calluses come in handy, I think. Uh, and it doesn't have to be on your hands. It can be on an, in an uncomfortable pair of boots that you're too stubborn to give up. My grandfather had a callus that went like this because he wore his hat at a tilt. And the problem comes, brethren, when it's your conscience developing those calluses. Sin 
on an individual basis might still prick the conscience. Encouragingly to Satan, however, if you do it one more time, it gets a little bit easier. You do it again, it gets a little bit easier. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. And most discouragingly, it's voluntary. When a person chooses, we believe in our right to choose, right? When a person chooses a lifestyle contrary to the doctrine of Christ, and if we stick with it long enough, eventually it will become a trivial thing in our lives. And we begin blaming God for whatever misfortune is visited upon us. And it becomes easy to claim that He did the living. One of my favorite characters in the Bible, bear with me, it sounds weird, one of my favorite characters is a guy named Ahab. He was a crybaby. He was a cool soldier at one point because he had a pretty dramatic one-liner. He, he was a self-deluded, ignorant individual who couldn't see his own reflection in the mirror. In 1 Kings, the 16th chapter, and verse 31, the Bible says that sin was a trivial thing to this man as if it didn't matter. He also tended to blame God for other, or others for his misfortune. 1 Kings 18 and 17, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? <laughs> 1 Kings 21.20, Have you found me, O mine enemy? These were his titles for a man of God who came to see him and who came to confront him. And the funny thing about Elijah, when he was confronted by Ahab, when he said, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Or whenever he said, Have you found me, O mine enemy? What did, Ahab, what did Elijah say to him in response? He said, I have found you. Contrary to popular religious doctrine today, he didn't throw his arms around Ahab and said, It's okay, buddy. We're not enemies. I love you. I love you you got to change a little bit, but I love... No, he was an enemy of sin. Elijah was. And Ahab was a representative of it. It's always been the fault of God or godly people for those who insist on maintaining their sin in their lives. Now, God may give you over to your desires if you insist upon them, but He never leaves. The prodigal son left his father. Judas left Jesus. Christians leave God. And whether it be for a riotous lifestyle, wealth, or simply not wanting to change, they do the leaving. Romans 1 delivers a poignant expose on those who voluntarily separate themselves from God, using language like exchanging the truth, serving the Creator, and not liking to retain God in their knowledge. It was all voluntary. Hebrews 10 addresses those who sin willfully or because they want to as opposed to weakness or ignorance. The decision to leave God is a voluntary one and it's worked up to, but God does not do the leaving. Something else we might consider whenever we think about the concern of leaving God or God having left us, whatever the world wants to phrase it as, and that is it's relatively easy to maintain His kinship. It's relatively easy to remain in His good graces. The question then becomes, why would you want to do anything other than the fruits of sin, after all, are temporary, as are the physical trials brought about by living righteously while we are here. Romans 8 and verse 31, he asks that immoral question, what shall we say then of these things? If God be for us, who can stand against us? Notice how he didn't say, Christians, when y'all are properly armed, who can stand against us? If you've got the backing of the zealot Jewish nation behind you to overthrow the Romans, well then who can be against us? And so on. Fill in the blank. Preceding these immortal words, Paul addresses the suffering of his generation and generations to come, brought about by the fact that we live in a physical, sinful world. 
But before the earth ever was, before sin was ever even a factor, the church, the saving plan for mankind, was predestined and established. And while the Word of God does not teach a predestined individual, mankind has always been able to count on the saving plan of God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. Romans 8 and 33, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It's Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? It's an interesting question that's brought up here. Who can stand against God's chosen ones? Is it because we've got calloused hands? Is it because we're armed? Is it because we're buff? Or is it because we just have an intimidating stare? No. It's because God stands with His elect. Ask God... As God is the ultimate judge and administrator of salvation, the elect have nothing to fear from a world whose only power is to control the body. Jesus Himself said, Don't fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Our souls have been justified, and therefore untouchable to the world, and even to Satan, who is powerless before those who stand before God. Keep in mind that God told Satan, He said, he said You're going to have liberties, but I'm going to limit you. Just as He did to Job and just as He does in this world today, we look at the world and we see one controlled by Satan, sure. But it's not inhospitable for children of God. And it's not impossible for us to live the life that God designed for us while here because the plan was there. It's been there all along. We have nothing to fear from sin or death as the hairs on our head are surely numbered and we are certainly of more value than the sparrows who fall only at the will of God Himself. Continuing in Romans 8, said in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Let's talk about all the things in 21st century America we fear right now. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, any of those things? No. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Paul makes a pretty comprehensive list of all of our most terrible nightmares. God shrugs them off. Not in a derogatory man up sort of way, but in a this is temporary and you have other things to focus on sort of way. Persecution, war, poverty, danger, it's hard for us to comprehend most of this given how comfortable and relatively stable our lives are. You might say, my life's not stable, and maybe it's not. Ask yourself this question. Don't really raise your hand. How many of us have disposable income? If the answer is yes, we have a pretty stable life. Pretty fortunate life. Regardless of what else goes on in it, we're pretty stable as we are. And while we should be thankful to God for these blessings and stability, we must also acknowledge that the only promise God offers our forgiveness and salvation. He doesn't offer us the promise of wealth and stability. We're blessed with it, but we're not promised it. Our physical comfort and pleasures are ideal, but fleeting, and certainly an unstable foundation upon which to place our faith and our happiness. God's love roots His people in stable, eternal security, provided we stay the course. That said... Having seen Jesus' persecution, government restrictions, and eventually execution, Paul had an ideally broad scope from which to draw his faith and his understanding. But he expressed his understanding through the Holy Spirit who made sure that we might understand the luxury of standing with God and Him standing with us.
For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, verse 38 and 39. Admittedly, it is difficult to understand how we experience life, but only we can separate ourselves from the love of God. Stay with Him, and He'll stay with you. After all, if God be for us, who can stand against us? No one. No one who has control over our physical selves can separate us from that which truly matters. So keep that in mind as you consider your immortal soul tonight. Please consider it thoroughly as well, as we have opportunity for you to restore yourself with Christ, whether through the confession of your sins before the brethren as something that might separate you from God, or whether through obedience to the gospel. If you've not obeyed it and if you're accountable, you ought to consider that. You ought to consider it now. Please come while we stand and sing this song of invitation.